Whether you're on the go with a summer vacation, or decide to spend your free time with a staycation, the No-So's got you covered. Relive your favorite era of wrestling with New Gen on a Mission, Wrestling Warzone, Extreme Three-Way Dance, or the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast. Keep in touch with the modern era with GC Dub, Clotheslines and Headlines, You Know What That Means, and Viewer's Choice, or sit down and nerd out with No Holds Barred, WWE War, or The Wrestler That Was. It's summertime, and the living is easy. Because you've got the North-South Connection. NorthSouthConnection.com Podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at PlaceToBeNation.com The only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude. Come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 yo. Place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Yes. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Then I shall be. It is Friday, 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 Friday. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo, and this is the Place to Be Podcast. Place to be Nation, welcome back to another great episode of the one and only Place to be Podcast. I am your co-host, Justin Zero. can meet you here on this Monday evening inside the PTBN studios. Joining me, as always, is my PIC, fresh out of the Atlantic Ocean, Mr. Scott Criscolo. <laughs> Scott, how are you? Uh, good evening, JR, PTB Wrestling Network, friends and family. Welcome to episode 628 of the longest-running episodic motherfucking gold thunder. Uh, yes, uh, like you a uh, short time ago, I uh, returned. Uh, no Grey Goose, uh, though I did have my share of blueberry mojitos. But uh, I do come back. I mean, what would a, a PIC um, cruise be without CM Punk causing drama? So it worked out. So next year for my cruise, uh, SummerSlam 2024 will be at Soldier Field and he will break Roman Reigns' yes. zillion, 900 billion day streak. It's funny because I, I didn't think about it while you were away as the punk stuff was happening. And then it like kind of hit me today. I was like, wait a minute. This is motherfucker. <laughs> and it was like, just, I, and it wasn't just new, like punk news. It was like all week. Yeah. Dominated <laughs> social media, especially like Wednesday on was like just nonstop. <laughs> bullshit. So, it is like, crazy. You know, all this over fucking a steel. Good grief. Yeah, uh, anyway, a lot of nonsense. But yeah, yes, like a like a fine piece of Bronzino, you survived the ocean. Yes, I did. It's good to have you here. Yes. Uh, and we're back inside the vintage vault. Appreciate yes. everyone kind of waiting. I think we had an extra week here between that. Yeah. But we are. Yep. Back at it and uh, joining us tonight and as our third man in the booth is our good buddy, uh, one of those guys that's just on too many shows to name. So we're just going to say he hosts and co-hosts a lot of things here across the place of the nation and over the North South Connection. And that is our good buddy, Mr. Logan Crossland. Logan, how are you, my friend? Uh, 
Somebody called me the backbone of the feed, but I, I, that may be just self-aggrandizing by me. But uh, <laughs> it's fitting that you have the uh, 1988 uh, Royal Rumble uh, Cronoso Monthly Champion on tonight. Uh, that is true. The, uh, you did win the Big Battle Royal. <laughs> I, I did, uh. did win the first Royal Rumble, so I, I have that going for me. But thanks for having me as uh, as usual. Oh, <laughs> man, that was a shit show. If anything ever captured the magic of, like, our random Saturday night calls like that was probably up there with it. It was a oh, absolutely. chaos, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. but it was a lot of fun. So stay tuned <laughs> to that on North South Connection. Our Cronoso dip into the rumble of 1998 and uh, credit to Ryan Gray for pulling that whole thing together. It was, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so why don't we heading go ahead, I should say, and dive in. Of course, we're going to be talking some 2009 wrestling shortly, but as always, we're going to kick things off heading back to 1995 Scott Criscola, why don't you tell us what was going on in the world of wrestling this week in 95? Well, uh, JR and Mud Pie, uh, it was actually one of the busiest uh, days we've had in uh, in our timeline. Um, usually it's one brand or the other um, usually has something going on. But on this night, you are blessed, Logan, to be on a show where both uh, brands, uh, both promotions had stuff going on on this night. Uh, so why don't we start with uh, the flamethrower? So the WWF on this date, July 26th, 1995, had a TV taping, challenge taping, uh, from the Keel Center in St. Louis. So uh, they taped the 730-86-813 episodes of, um, of uh, Challenge, which included JR, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Fantasio, was this Fantasio. his? Fantasio. It's like Andrea. Oh, <laughs> yes. Fantasio. Fantasio. Yeah. So Fantasio Zuckerman here made it made his lone. Uh, so I'm guessing he's older than he's presented. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and he doesn't, he, he comes from another town. Um, he beat Rad Radford with a roll up. Uh, by the way, this was the final, oh, a little historic, the final challenge taping ever. I was just about to say this has to be late era challenge. I mean, this is this is pretty deep into the run, and Action Zone had already been going. That took over for All American, so I think Challenge just kind of goes away. Like I don't think they restart anything new in '95 that takes its place. So I, I had a feeling this was the on the death death doorstep for Challenge. Yes. So the eight thirteen ninety five episode of Challenge would be the last one uh, ever. Um, so. Uh, so Fantasio Zuckerman uh, pins Rad Radford. Isn't this like his only TV appearance? I think. I it's know, one yeah, for sure. It's either yeah. one or one or two. I think he had a total. Right. It's not much. So then there's uh, uh then the seven thirty. I won't get through the matches, but the seven thirty episode included highlights from the Bret Hart Hakushi match from Raw. Uh, on April on August sixth, included footage from the Razor Ramon Savio Vega versus Yoko and Owen match from Raw. Then the 813 included footage of the Diesel Sermo title, non-title match from Raw, and featured footage from superstars of the 10-minute challenge match between Barry Horowitz and Skip. That would be Horowitz's uh, second win over Skip. Yes. Correct. Uh, the dark matches that were not on TV on this on this day. Uh, Lex Luger and Dave, David Bye Smith, the Allied Powers, defeated. Owen Hart and Yokozuna via disqualification. Of course, Owen and Yoko were the tag team champions. Yoko made the save and dropped a leg on Smith when his partner was about to be pinned. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Tatanka in a strap match. Undertaker defeated Kama in a casket match. Then a couple of matches from the unreleased 86 to 95 
Was that a DVD or a tape? I'm trying to think. Uh, DVD that came out. That was kind of recently, wasn't that one of those ones they? Yeah. Uh, recent years. So both these matches made that DVD. Uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels defeated Jerry Lawler and Hakushi at 10:35 uh, when Hakushi submitted to Bret's sharpshooter. Following his entrance, Lawler said he would make Hart kiss his feet and make the fans do the same. A Coliseum video banner was hung for the match, as we know, because it made something. Mm-hmm. After the match, Brett and Sean hugged. Aww. Aww. They, wouldn't do, they wouldn't do it again for 25 years. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite a while for the next <laughs> um, And then our second uh, match that was on the DVD from the show, uh, Diesel, our world champion, defeated <laughs> Yoko. <laughs> defeated Yoko in a steel cage match. Oh, that's kind of cool. At 11.59 by escaping over the top just as Yoko attempted to escape out the door. After the match, Yoko tried to attack Diesel on the floor, but the champion fought him off. So, pretty memorable taping in St. Louis, Missouri on this July. That could have been our SummerSlam man event right there. No slander to poor Mabel, but Diesel, Yoko in the cage, that could have been cool. That would have been very cool. Can you imagine Diesel's lanky ass climbing out of the cage? That would, that would be. He would have tore something. So. <laughs> uh, probably take, take the door is the best path there. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, uh, just a bit southeast, a little closer to Mud Pie, uh, July 26, 1995, WCW with a little Saturday night taping action. Mm. So they were taping the uh, August 5th, 12th, and 19th episodes of uh, Saturday night. Uh, I'll just I'll just read the, the, the main stuff. I don't care about the matches. Uh, for the, so for the 8-5... Uh, episode Tony and Bobby included a clash control center hosted by Mean Gene with Alex Wright versus DDP announced for the show. Of course, JR, I'm sure you'll mention more about that in a moment. Um, featured a Dungeon of Doom vignette with the master and Kevin Sullivan claiming WCW world champion Hulk Hogan's pride would lead him into their trap. Included a promo for Hogan. I love it, my son. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, my son. Oh, uh, son uh, <laughs> included a promo. For Hogan appearing on the live WCW main event the next night and challenging a Dungeon of Doom member. Featured Okerlin promoting a WCW hotline story on Randy Savage dating a famous TV series regular. Interesting. Included a contest promo where a viewer could win a Harley Davidson by watching Clash of the Champions. Featuring a video with Hogan discussing how he felt the presence and strength of Andre the Giant within it. Thun! The Giant. And that he would go through the Dungeon of Doom in order to face the Giant and eliminate the uncertainty and fear that he experienced. That was that episode, and then there was matches. Uh, on the 8-12-95 episode, uh, let's see what that is here. Looks like no not, no interview pieces or anything. Um, let's see, what's the highlight match here? Our television champion, the Renegade, defeated Max Muscle. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the 8-19 episode, there was no interview pieces. Uh, any matches that, uh, Cobra, Tom Burton, um, nah, nothing crazy. Uh, the Renegade on this night defeated Ray Hudson. So anyway, so there you go. Not much more to say there. So, so there you go. So on this date, July 26th, 1995, both the WWF and WCW had television tapings and for WWF, it was historic and that it would be its final, uh, challenge taping. So. I guess according to this, guys, officially, uh, August thirteenth, nineteen ninety-five, would be the mm-hmm. last episode of Challenge. I don't even know where it was even airing by that point in markets. Like, I don't know if we even had it here. 
Um, because I think I the syndication had definitely whittled down. Like Superstars was still pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I think. Um, like I said, Action Zone had taken over the USA slot for All American. Right. Um, but they wouldn't really do another shakeup. Much longer either. So. Yeah. No. Well, that lasts another year. Actually, that's there until um, Livewire, I okay, believe, right. mm-hmm. comes in. I think that's in '96. Right. That's like the next big shift they do because they dump Action Zone and Superstars moves to USA out of syndication. And then live wire starts um, and all that. So, yeah. Yep. So I, I think Superstars is their last syndicated show for a while. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that'll do it for your house show report. So, JR, what, let's uh, fire up a little herb. What do we all got? Right, we're going to burn it right to June 30th, 1995. Herb lets us know he's headed to Vancouver tomorrow to visit Kelly Nelson. This is a little zonk today. Trying to get everything in order. Apologies in advance yet again for my choppiness. No tidbits next week. WF's King of the Ring took place on Sunday. I think it's fair to say the uncensored King of the Ring received the loudest and most clear-cut negative reaction of any pay-per-view so far this year. Why was it so poorly reviewed? My parents asked me to order the show for them, so they were sold on the event. In my opinion, the show is bad because there are very few moments of good wrestling. I wasn't expecting all that much thanks to the scary lineup, but by the end of the show, all I could think were, where are Hakushi, Skip the Bayadana, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, and others that could at least put on some oomph into the wrestling? Yeah, yeah. The storylines tried to get Mabel over as a new monster heel. Fuel and Undertaker comma feud and continue to build Diesel versus Sid for In Your House. But did any of these things promise good wrestling? Maybe that's why I'll give the show such a strong thumbs down. At least Uncensored had the dangerous concession stand brawl tribute to Tupelo. King of the Ring wins worst pay-per-view of the year so far for me. Jennifer Smith vindicated. For the record, after his King of the Ring victory, Mabel is already talking about him and Mo taking on Owen Hart and Yokozuna for the tag titles and him going after Diesel for the world title. Wonderful. Mabel in the main event. To add feud to the triangular tag match at Bash of the Beach, Harlem Heat has regained the tag team titles from the Nasty Boys. The next UFC is slated for July 14th. Bash of the Beach coming on July 16th. The show that will take place on a beach for free. Tentative lineup is Hulk Hogan versus Vader for the WCW title on a cage. Flair versus Savage. The Nasty Boys versus the Blue Bloods versus Harlem Heat for the WCW tag titles. Sting versus Ming for the U.S. title. Orndorff versus Renegade for the TV title. DDP versus Dave Sullivan. And Jim Duggan versus Kamala. WF has a second in your house on July 23rd. Diesel versus Sid is rumored. WCW era taped pay-per-view on August 4th featuring matches from New Japan, uh, and their trip to Korea. The show will be cheaply priced at $12.95. Lineup includes Anoki versus Flair, the Steiners versus Hase and Sasaki, Hawk versus Yasuda, Bull Nakano versus Akira Hokuto, Scott Norton and Masachono versus Akira Ogami and Ta- Takeyuki Izuka, Wild Pegasus versus Tuko Scorpio, Black Cat versus El Samurai, and Iro Saito versus Yuji Nagata. Clash of Champions, August 6th. Tentative lineup is Vader versus Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. Harlem Heat versus the Blue Bloods for the tag team titles. DDP versus Johnny B. Bad. And Sting and Hawk versus Ming and Manabu Nakanishi. WF has SummerSlam on August 27th. WCW is going to have a UFC-style pay-per-view on September 1st. Uh, and then he runs through an interview with Two Cold Scorpio from some rag. Uh, any thoughts there? Pretty basic. I, I, I think it was. I mean, he's he's crazy as always, but pretty basic stuff. I know those Japan shows that WCW has are usually pretty good, so um, I'm sure that one was a banger as as they usually are. Well, I think that ends up being the that's Collision in Korea, right? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, so. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, nothing crazy there. Okay. Well, let's see. We got a couple more here. July 13th, 1995. Everyone is talking about the DF returning to the old bigger is better formula. That carried them to the heyday of Hulkamania. 
Mabel, arguably the worst wrestler in the King of the Ring, was crowned king <laughs> and gets a push. Sid continues to headline against Diesel. Shawn Michaels relegated to the IC title. Still, they will probably only be temporary. As everyone is saying the ever-changeable plan of the WWF is to have Michaels challenge for and win the world title by the end of the summer. In the meantime, Canadian fans are lucky enough to be spared the wrestling skills of King Mabel House shows because he cannot enter Canada due to previous conviction. Which they must get that cleared up because he's at WrestleMania. If that's true, he's at WrestleMania. He's at In Your House Four, which is in uh, Winnipeg. So I guess that's either misinformation or they clean it up. Uh, How's this for an interesting idea? This past weekend, Sully's Gym in Toronto, the home of Ron Hutchinson and Sweet Daddy Siki, held a small wrestling show which included a couple hours of Japanese video watching. So there you go. Doing a figurehead, Jack Tunney has retired. No word on what, if anything, this means for the future of the WF in Toronto, where Tunney was a local promoter. Could the WF stranglehold in the city loosen up? Does it even matter? Although the WF TV shows hinted at potential replacements may come from talent, current talent roster like Dead DiBiase, rumor has it that Bill Watts may come in to play the president role. WCW should go topsy-turvy yet again now that Ric Flair's booking role is eliminated. Originally, Hulk Hogan was in control of his own scenarios, and Flair was handling everything else with a committee. Now, Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan is heading the committee. The top program has taken shape as the master, Curtis Iokea, has placed the taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, in charge of the Dungeon of Doom. Kamala, the shark, John Tenta in a real stupid role, Bill being from a tsunami, and Big Van Vader, and eventually the giant, Paul White, the big man that's been appearing on WCW shows. Doesn't that sound great? Speaking of Vader, WCW started calling him Big Van Vader yet again, even had his headgear with him in an interview. Vader has reestablished his connection with New Japan, the company which has the rights to the name and gimmick. UFC taking place tomorrow night, Bash of the Beach on Sunday. Same card, pretty much. He just goes on to say the DDP attack on Dave Sullivan was terrible, with a bad kung fu movie-style sound effects mixed in. WF has In Your House on July 23rd. Tentative lineup is Diesel versus Sid for the title in a Lumberjack match. Owen Hart, Yokozuna versus Davey Boy Smith and Lex Luger for the tag titles. Jeff Jarrett versus Shawn Michaels for the IC title. The Roadie versus the One Two Three Kid. Bam Bam Bigelow versus Henry O. Godwin. And Bret Hart versus Jean-Pierre Lafitte. That ends up pretty much being the card, except for the Bret match, which ends up being a dark match. But he's going to lay it out. Runs down the Collision and Korea card again. That's the same uh, same card for the Clash. He just adds on Renegade versus Orndor for the TV title. Uh, SummerSlam UFC-style pay-per-view fall brawl. All there. Fall Brawl will not have Hulk Hogan on September 17th. So again, nothing too crazy here. Just kind of current thoughts on stuff going on, but anything you guys want to hit? Would have been crazy to see uh, Vader stick with the Dungeon of Doom uh, a little long. I think it probably would have pushed back the Giants push a little bit, but it would have been right. interesting to see him hang around uh, that group a little bit. And I never knew the thing about Mabel not being able to cross the border, so that's kind of crazy. I didn't know that. That's probably wrong. That's my guess. Yeah. Probably- I mean, I mean, if he's there in October, I, I guess unless again they got to clear it up. But yeah, or yeah, maybe he had a court date coming up and they they got it cleared up there. So I don't know. Or yeah, or just assumed he had. A yeah, court. or Herb's just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, nothing crazy there. Um, uh, I like. I mean, it, I, I'm I'm curious if this if the stuff about Sean winning the title by the summer was a big thing or if that was just him guessing. I mean, he's he's alluded to it a couple of times mm-hmm. over the past couple months, but uh, so I guess maybe he's thinking Jarrett, like it's like a DQ it in your house or something, maybe, and Sean doesn't win there, and then I mean he's not talking SummerSlam yet, so I guess he could be thinking maybe Sean Diesel at SummerSlam, which I don't think would have been crazy, um, or you know he said end of summer, but I think Sean Diesel even a Survivor Series could have been in play, perhaps. Right? But, yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. 
All right, let's get to our final set of notes here. July 28th, 1995. Apologies for the terseness of today's post. As I mentioned last week, I had to compose a final exam for partial differential equations. Much more difficult than anticipated and hinted at. Not only do questions have to be interesting, relevant to course material, but they have to be appropriate difficulty. Tough stuff to devise. I shall be back on track next week. The WF had In Your House 2 on Sunday. It turned out to be a very enjoyable show. Shawn Michaels' title win was the highlight of the event. Michaels pulled out all the stops, and Jeff Jarrett hung with him, although he was sometimes seriously sucking wind to keep up the pace. The only problem with the match was that Jerry Lawler had to do commentary alone for a few minutes, and that's not his usual role, and we know why. Most of the guys seem to be trying to work to the best of their ability on the show. The problem, from my perspective, in the case of Sid and Diesel, they don't, that doesn't mean much. The main event was the only watchable because of the work of the guys outside the ring in the Lumberjacks. The biggest news coming out of the In Your House 2 was not that Shawn Michaels won the IC title, even though it was an excellent match. The big news is that Jeff Jarrett and the roadie both quit immediately after the show. Prevailing opinion is that Jarrett was more worried about going the route of IRS, becoming nothing more than a glorified mid to low carter stuck in inconsequential feuds. WCW was collision in Korea for 1495 on August 4th, same card. Clash on August 6th, same card. He's now just rena- uh, renamed Nakanishi as Kurosawa, which of course what happened. Uh, doing it for SummerSlam on August 27th. Vince has gone to this internet fans, I'll give you what you want, spiel on Raw a few weeks back and did deliver a really good match, a really good show this past Sunday. The tentative lineup for SummerSlam is Diesel versus Mabel for the title. Thanks for thinking of us, Vince. There's also a strange talk that Steve McMichael and William Perry are being talked to about working a tag match against Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Hopefully, that's just a terrible rumor. Oh, come on, baby. <laughs> Uh, WCW era UFC style pay-per-view on November, uh, September 1st, fall brawl, no Hogan. And that's that. So pretty, uh, sorry, Logan, pretty weak batch of herb here tonight. Oh, it's, it's no big deal. I, I'm glad Shawn Michaels, uh, drug that slug Jeff Jarrett to his best match of his career, uh, at this, uh, in your house pay-per-view. But, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty inconsequential stuff. Um, but it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> All right. So, uh, with that said, we're going to go ahead and, Move along, move along, move along. And I will say, thinking of Herb's complex math equations, probably had those kids in that class crying, feeling weak, perhaps tears flowing from their face like waterfalls. Of course, the number one song in the nation this week in 1995, Waterfalls by TLC, brings us to Scott Griscolo's Culture Corner. <laughs> Waterfall differentials, yes. So, all right, so let's go to the Billboard uh, Hot 100 for this week, which would have ended the 29th of uh, July 1995. And yes, TLC's Waterfalls, great song. Uh, at number one, uh, your beloved Biggie with One More Chance, Stay With Me at number two. Don't Take It Personal by Monica at three. Boombastic. One of them days. Uh, Boombastic. Mm-hmm. By Shaggy at four. Kiss from a Rose by oh. Seal at five. I Can Love You Like That by All for One at six. Water Runs Dry by Boys to Men at seven. The uh, cover of Total Eclipse of the Heart by Nikki French at eight. Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman by Brian Adams, which is a past number one at nine. And Run Around by Blues Traveler. God, I remember that song my senior year. Uh, at number 10. That's a good little list right there. Strong. 
Very strong. Outing here at 95. Yes. Not, yeah. Good, good hip hop stuff. Nice slow R and B and uh run around, which is like that absolute mid nineties pop deforce <laughs> that would be on the, on the list. Looking down quickly. I don't do this very often. I'm curious about some other songs from the, all right, here we go. The other Batman forever song, hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me by you two at 16. Let her cry by Hootie and the Blowfish. We'll talk more about them as we get into uh, 96, too. Um, so there we go. So there is your Billboard Top 10 TLC by Waterfalls at uh, at number one. Um, let us go to from the radio to the movies and see what was going on in theaters uh, this weekend in 1995, which would be July 28th. Uh, let's see. I'm waiting for the page to load. Okay, so. What is the, well, let's put it this way. More water. It's not like so many water uh, things this week. Mm-hmm. So we have waterfalls, and we'll see what number one is. All right, so number 10. Here's your top 10. Number 10, Species. Number nine, Pocahontas. Uh, number eight, Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home, water. Number seven, Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, <laughs> water. Number six, Operation Dumbo Drop. Made it, uh, it was its first weekend. It's probably some water in there somewhere. Probably some water in there somewhere. Number five, nine months, breaking water <laughs> at number five. Uh, number four, I believe this is a Logan Crosland special right here. Clueless. I, I have seen it before, but it's not one of my favorites, I'll say. <laughs> it is a great movie. Is, I think JT loves it, though. So. It's, a, it's a tremendous <laughs> movie. Uh, at number three, Apollo 13. Was, uh, it was this was its second week on the on the charts, and then the top two movies for this weekend both were <coughs> this weekend. Number two, one of the earliest uh, one of the earliest Sandra Bullock uh, efforts. I don't remember a movie she was in before this. The Net. Do you remember that one, Jr? Uh, I do. It's with the girl from the bus, as Frank Costanza called it. Yes, but yes. I I think I actually saw that in the theater. The Net. I believe. Yes, the girl, the girl from the bus. Speed Speed uh, was in ninety four, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. And then the number one movie of the weekend, making its uh, premiere, it would end up being uh, one of the highest hyped and worst performed. And it began the bad stretch of Kevin Costner, long drawn out movies that nobody wanted to see. Waterworld. Yeah, I never saw it. Yeah, yeah, good. You didn't miss much. It's fucking terrible. Um, it's like three hours and fifty minutes or some shit. And that began oh, Kevin Costner's stretch of doing every movie: Wyatt Earp, The Postman, you name it. He made it three and a half hours. Um, so anyway, there you go. So there was your top movies this week, July twenty eighth, nineteen ninety five. The number one movie of the weekend was Waterworld. And finally, let's get a look at things on the diamond as we head into the 1995 baseball season. Very strange season as we're as as every time we look, because five of this was the first year of six divisions, as we talked about, first year of wild cards. But five of the six divisions are are ugly right now. Only one division is is was relatively close at this point. Yeah. Actually, they were all kind of close. It was, I think it's on our next episode, JR. They seem to, a lot of them seem to pull away. But in any event, so on this date, July 26, 1995, seems like everyone was in action. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Crosland. You are a Braves fan, correct? 
No, I'm a Ra- uh, Tampa Bay Rays fan. I ah, the Rays. Well, they're not here yet, so yeah, they're know. not around yet. So, so you don't count. So anyway, <laughs> uh, the Yankees lose in Kansas City six to five. The Mets lost in eleven innings to the Cardinals three to two. So the division. So the races right now: Red Sox four and a half over the Orioles in the AL East. Cleveland, uh, obviously, the ninety-five Indians were amazing. Fifty-seven and twenty-four at this point. Fifteen and a half game lead over the uh, Brewers, who are still in the American League at this point. Uh, the Angels with an eight-game lead on Texas in the West. In the National League in the East, Atlanta with a seven-and-a-half-game lead on Philly. Cincinnati leading Houston by four-and-a-half in the Central. And the Rockies, in their, what, second year of existence, leading the NL West by four over the Dodgers. And that will do it for this relatively quick uh, Pop Culture Corner. Did I go too fast? <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's just me talking on mute. Uh, but now that's that to the books, we're going to go ahead and fast forward 14 years. We're going to dive into Night of Champions 2009. Live on July 26th from the Wachovia Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Attendance 17,774, 267,000 buys. The third edition of Night of Champions. It is Pennsylvania's 15th pay-per-view. Third all-time. It's the uh, third most all-time for any state. It's the eighth all-time in Philadelphia, but the first in over five years. Logan, do you remember the previous one before this? How many years did you say? Uh, Over five. Uh, no, I've got no I'll call it five and a half. Five and a half to help you out. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> Royal Rumble 2004 was the last show oh, in Philly. Uh, on the July 29th, Raw, Vince McMahon announced that Donald Trump had orchestrated a 15-person trade between Raw, SmackDown, and ECW, and that the show also saw the first of the Raw guest hosts as Batista, the injured Batista, would host Raw. And of course, this is a very infamous stretch of Raw uh, with the, the guest hosting gimmick that would go on for a bit. Yep. Beginning on July 3rd, Raw did a week-long tour of Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. On July 3rd, Edge tore his Achilles tendon during a house show. So, tough there. You know, recently we had talked about Scott with him and Jericho winning the tag team titles, but obviously uh, that is now going to be quickly ended. Uh, we'll get into that all in a moment. Mm-hmm. On July 5th, Waldo Von Eric passed away at 75. On July 6th, we had Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase come back as a guest host. A week later, we had Seth Green guest host. And then on 720, ZZ Top were the guest hosts of Monday Night Raw. All right. Get into our show. We have our championship-based opening package as usual with all the titles on the line. Michael Cole welcomes us into the Wachovia Center. It's sold out for a night to celebrate greatness. Of course, on commentary for the show, we have uh, Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and Matt Stryker um, calling the proceedings. So we'll see how that goes throughout the evening. We have one dark match as Crime Time takes on the Hart Dynasty. And then we get into our opening match, which is Chris Jericho and the Big Show versus Legacy for the United uh, United United uh, States now. Unified WWE Tag Team titles so mr criscolo would you like to tell us how we get to this match and this whole scenario with big show teaming with chris jericho uh i shall so show obviously replacing edge uh who is out we'll get more into that in a minute and uh it wasn't announced until right before the match 
On the 629 Raw, Jericho and Edge defeated the Colognes to retain the tag titles. On the 7-6 Raw, guest host Ted DiBiase announced that Legacy, of course, with his son on the team, would challenge Edge and Jericho for the tag titles at the pay-per-view. On the 7-13 Raw, it was announced Edge had suffered an injury as Jericho came out and said that he had carried the team by himself, and he said he knew he was taking a risk on Edge due to him being injury-prone as he added a clause in the contract saying he could pick a replacement for the tag title match at the pay-per-view. He would offer Mark Henry the spot only for Henry to turn him down, which led to a match, and Henry would win by countout. On the 7-17 SmackDown, Edge appeared via satellite and said that he was proud of his accomplishments, though this injury could force him to retire. And Jericho would interrupt and say that he would find a partner better than Edge. He said that Edge's greatest accomplishment was his list of injuries, and Edge was the weak link. And Edge vowed to return and prove everyone, including Jericho, wrong. And on the 724 SmackDown, Jericho offered the great Kali the chance to be his partner, and Kali said no. So he came here alone, but ended up getting a partner, as we see. All right, well, Legacy does hit the ring looking to regain their gold. Chris Jericho saunters out next with both titles, and he's going to have to find that new partner like we've been talking about. Jericho grabs the mic. We get a video package story about Edge's torn Achilles and surgery. Uh, and Jericho, our Edge called out Jericho, I should say, for taking shots at his durability. Edge vowed to come back and prove Jericho wrong. Jericho takes some shots and brings out his new tag team partner and co-champion, The Big Show. Big Show saunters out with his weird uh, Amish facial here that Logan's a big fan of. Uh, Jericho's looking smug. Show starts with Cody. Cody tries to stick and move, but Show slaughters him with chops and punches, throws him out of the ring. Cody sneaks free and tags in DiBiase, but Show beats the crap out of him as well. Jericho comes in. Him and Show quick tag to control DiBiase. Legacy find an opening. Cody tags in, but Show cracks him with an elbow off the apron. The champions take back over. Cody hooks the top rope, and Jericho tumbles out. The challengers take over with a quick tag and focused attack. Cole reminds us that Tim DiBiase Sr. made this match on behalf of his son. The crowd then tries to rally Jericho as the beatdown rolls on. Jericho heats up with a quick flurry, catches Rhodes off guard, but he can't tag in time. Jericho keeps pushing, but Legacy remains in control. They fight through some comebacks until Jericho is able to fight off the Dream Street, twists into the walls of Jericho, but Cody sneaks in and breaks it up. Show eventually grabs a blind tag and comes in as Legacy panics into a frenzy, but Show hits a big spear on DiBiase for two. Legacy double team, but Jericho comes in, hits a code breaker on DiBiase, and Show hooks the Colossal Clutch for the win and Pop to retain their titles. Uh, this is a pretty good little opener. Jericho in the heat segment it was a nice twist, even though he's been such a prick. Uh, but he's good at it, and the crowd was kind of into it because Legacy is just really pure heels. Show as a surprise was fine. It's not super exciting, but he's been on a roll. He's been really good since he's come back uh, at WrestleMania 24. He was, you know, really good in the Undertaker feud. We liked him there, Scott. Uh, he was pretty good with the Cena stuff. So he's he's been cruising along, keeps him uh, in the title mix, and Legacy keeps grinding. They're presented well, uh, but couldn't close again here which has been a fault of theirs lately. Uh, good finish, though. I think Jericho and Show showed some chemistry, Scott. I went two and three quarters. Um, I had no problem with Show as the surprise choice. You know, Jericho kind of needed – you notice he kept asking to have, like, big guys as his partner because he wanted, a you know, a large guy to protect and do all the work. Um, so I had no problem with that as the uh, as the choice. Um, I didn't uh, – I didn't hate the match. I didn't love the match, but I didn't hate the match. I – I like um, I like that it was kind of an odd heel versus heel thing. So the crowd, I thought, was a little um, diluted because of it. Because you pretty much have two, you know, two heel teams. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like 
the tag division is in a bit of a transition right now. Um, you know, there's not a lot of um, tag teams at the moment. Um, maybe, maybe combining the belts was not the smartest move. Um, but having said that, uh, we have really no teams and legacy, you know, had to get themselves in this position. So we had heel versus heel to start the show, which I don't think was the smartest move. Um, because I think you really want to get the crowd fired up and, and having two heels, uh, probably was not the, the way to go about that. Uh, I gave it two and a half. But I mean, it was fine, Logan. But I feel like having two heel, two heel teams at the start of the match might have um, kind of thrown off the the energy level and the 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 uh, vibe of the show. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I went two and a half as well. I, the the heel heel matchup was weird to me. Um, I feel like the crowd they they were more behind uh, Jericho and Big Show. Uh, as JT said, but uh, it definitely it definitely made them not hype as hyped up about either team because they're obviously both bad guys. I know Jericho's been a real shitbag the whole time, and Legacy is like the biggest heel faction right now. So um, that that just made the crowd dynamic real weird. Um, this is a uh, JT mentioned this as well. This is a really good solid tag run for Big Show, but this is not one of his uh, most aesthetically pleasing uh, uh, runs in his uh, career because he has the very odd and terrible two tone blue singlet mm-hmm. that he wears here, and then he has the uh, Amish uh, goatee as uh, JT mentioned. Um, but Big Show is automatically and immediately a uh, huge factor in this match. He just really chucks Legacy around to start the start the match, and then him and Jericho's teammate is already on point. Our team teamwork is already on point. Uh, they already look like they're going to gel real well as a team. Um, there was a really ridiculous spot where Jericho kind of lunges for a tag over uh, DiBiase's shoulder, and he uh, Big Show basically has to just flail his arm around because he clearly could have tagged him because he was within like, a foot <laughs> yeah. of him. And you know, Big Show's big motherfucker so uh he definitely could have tagged him um i thought the moonsault that uh cody rhodes hit was really really cool and awesome looking i felt like dibiase was a bit off tonight i feel like him and jericho weren't in sync when they were in the ring together um i watched the tv i uh, kind of leading up to this pay-per-view to kind of remind myself what was kind of going on at the time they were really pushing this uh colossal clutch that big show started doing at this point he was just killing guys on tv before this before they kind of had to transition into this team uh but it was good to see that kind of uh kind of continue even though despite the change in direction being in the tag team now uh, when he was a singles guy um but yeah solid enough match but weird to see the heel heel thing because it kind of led to nobody really being cheered for and it didn't really wake up the crowd too much did the guest host thing hold up at all um, I mean, it wasn't terrible the first few weeks. I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, Seth Green was uh, pretty good in front of the crowd. Uh, they, they cheered him pretty good, but you know, he's kind of a goofball, but, um, yeah, it wasn't bad yet. I, I think it gets worse as they go on, but it wasn't I never bad. hated the concept of it. Like I think yeah. raw at that point could just be a, a chore to watch in general, but I yeah. never thought it was like because of that. No, no, yeah, it, it, it was fine the first few weeks. Um, yeah. I, I don't know when it really drops off, but yeah, it, uh, it, uh, it was fine for now, uh, definitely. I think it was smart to use the wrestlers first and kind of mix right. in the celebrities as they went. And obviously, uh, Santino has the great line when ZZ Top is uh, the host. He says, my favorite band, Z-Top. So that one always stuck out in my head. 
All right. Josh Matthews backstage talks to CM Punk about Jeff Hardy, but Punk blows him off. Grills the fans about supporting somebody like Hardy. He takes issue with the single parents, allowing the kids to do so. He says Hardy grew up with one parent, too. He rips enabler single parents and talks about how it leads eventually to drinking and drug addiction, but can all be stopped by parents telling their kids yes to a future of straight-edge, drug-free America. And the winner and champion, CM Punk. Great heel promo as Punk continues to lean into this character, one he's crafted, of course, over years before this on the indies. First time we're seeing it here on the WF or uh, WE, and he's doing a really good job of of slowly kind of unraveling it week by week. Absolutely. All right, brings us to our next match, which is for the ECW title, and that is Tommy Dreamer taking on Christian Scott. How did uh, this one come about? Well, let us see. On the June 30th ECW, William Regal and Vladimir Kozlov defeated Dreamer and Christian in a tag match when Kozlov pinned Dreamer. On the 7-9 ECW, Dreamer appeared on the Abraham Washington show. Oh, boy. Anybody remembers that. And said he was proud of the guys getting their break in ECW and as he looked forward to who would win the main event that night to face him at the pay-per-view. And in the main event, Christian defeated Kozlov to earn the title shot. On the 7-14 ECW, Kozlov defeated Dreamer in a non-title match. On the 721 ECW, Dreamer and Christian appeared on the Abraham Washington show again, went back and forth before exchanging slaps, and they had a stare down to end the show. Kind of dug this build. Yeah. All right. Well, out ambles Tommy Dreamer, and Josh Matthews says that he is the last remaining original and is returning home to Philadelphia. Tommy soaks it in, but his opponent out pops him sadly. And that is uh, Christian looking to get back to the top of the mountain. Tommy lights things up with a slap. Christian returns fire or off and running with a flurry of holds. Christian controls from there, but Tommy buries a hard shoulder to the gut. We head outside as Christian has a baseball slide to drive Tommy into the table. Misses a springboard plancha. Tommy hits a cannonball off the apron. Tommy works over Christian back inside. He gets caught up and yanked hard to the mat. Christian works the upper back and neck goes to sleeper, but Tommy dips to the rope, so they flop outside. Uh, they both are slow to get back in. Tommy catches Christian off the top, runs him through some quick strikes and a pancake. Tommy puts Christian in the tree of woe, hits a drop kick to a pop, which brings back some nice ECW memories. Tommy gets a sit-out powerbomb for two, but Christian slips out of a pump handle into a reverse DDT for two. Christian gets a missile drop kick. He heads back up and tries another one, but Tommy sidesteps it, twists Christian back into a cloverleaf. As Matt Stryker says, Tommy's been training with, De- training with Dean Malenko. We get a flurry of near falls from both until Christian hits a drop kick counters the DDT and hits the kill switch to win the ECW title to a pop. It's okay, but it kind of felt stuck in neutral. Um, I think Tommy just doesn't have the pace anymore in him to keep up with Christian. Uh, his run's been fun, but he's definitely slowing down. The Philly crowd, you know, this modern Philly crowd didn't really quite connect. They actually were much more in a Christian than they were a dreamer in this match, which is kind of sad. Uh, I think they might've been better off if they wanted to give Tommy this moment in Philly just have him do like a plunder war and beat like a random heel. Uh, and then maybe do the Christian title switch on TV or at SummerSlam or whatever. Uh, it, I don't know if it matters, but you could have given Tommy more of the nostalgia pop by rolling someone out here. That doesn't matter as much. And just having him do all the weapons uh, as it is Logan. I went two and a half. It was fine. And Christian gets the belt back. Yeah. Not a super uh, warm reception for the uh, supposed hometown hero that mm-hmm. was Tommy dreamer. Uh, he d- didn't get much of a cheer when he comes out. And even though he's kind of pandering to the crowd, um, if you've listened to highway to the impact zone, we are very uh, against uh, Christian's fashion uh, in his TNA run. Uh, I'm glad he has gone away from the uh, glory hole jacket that he has in TNA away <laughs> here. Um, yeah. The baggy uh, pants uh, 
little tracksuit thing isn't much better, but it's better than that uh, outfit for sure. Um, I felt like Tommy tried to wake up the crowd at certain points. He did like a, uh, he basically sacrificed his body and did a senton to the outside straight to mm-hmm. the floor. Um, you know, this, this one was another solid one. I don't think it was like, I, like you said, I don't think it was great or anything like that. I thought it was a little bit better than the opener for me. I feel like they did a good job at the end of waking the crowd up. I feel like the last little trade sequence where they traded finisher reversals was, uh, got the crowd woke up a little bit, uh, but they seemed very excited to see Christian win. So I actually went two and three quarters on this one. Uh, I thought it was slightly better than the opener, but still not uh, knock your socks off kind of match or anything. Um, yeah, I gave this two and a half. Um, I mean, I understand the the Tommy Dreamer kind of lifetime achievement award tour, which is pretty much what this was. Um, I thought this was this was a disservice to poor Tommy. I agree. I would have stuck like some schlub in here, maybe like Swagger or somebody, you know. Um, yeah, or do, do even do a four way again or something, and just have it be like a weapons, a Philadelphia street fight or something. Yeah. You know, having I think the crowd would have maybe gotten woken up more for that. Yeah, I think I think I think Tommy going up against somebody who the current audience is more connected with uh, didn't do him any favors. Um, and I mean, Tommy just can't. I mean, he did the best he could. I mean, he worked his ass off, but he just doesn't have it anymore. This was again, this was nothing more than a lifetime achievement award title win that he had. And it was a good moment. But Christian, if you were going to just keep the train moving, uh, Christian had to win. And he does, which is the right move. But Tommy just needs to to walk away, you know, now with his dignity before these matches get any worse. Um, but uh, I would not have put Christian in this role. I would have waited maybe another month or even had him on an episode of ECW or something. I would not have. I mean, he's in. I mean, it's his backyard. I mean, we guys know we know where these arenas are. The arena that he cut his teeth in is literally like walking distance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would have given him a better platform than what he got tonight. So. Yeah, I mean, in a ways, too, it's, like, fitting. Like, Dreamer was known for never winning the big one, right? Always doing the job. Um, so, like, it's fitting that he laid down here. I'm sure it was probably his idea to lay down in Philly. But, yes, to your point, the match could have been structured better. That would have popped a little bit more here. I, maybe they just assumed the Philly crowd would, would be better for him. But for whatever reason, they just weren't. Again, maybe it's aged out. Maybe the East Side nostalgia was dimming by this point overall. But. He definitely does not get like the full reaction you would expect. So, right. I was very surprised when he walked out and they just didn't react at all, pretty much. Yeah. I agree. All right. Todd Grisham talks to Jericho on Big Show, says they're not friends. It's just business. They're champions. And Jericho says it was a great decision. He puts over Big Show and he promises to be the most dominant team in history and thanks Edge for getting hurt so they can make this new team possible. All right. Up next, we have a little scrum here for the. United States Championship, it is a six-pack challenge as our champion, Kofi Kingston, takes on Jack Swagger, Carlito, The Miz, Primo Cologne, and Montel Vontavious Porter, MVP. Scott, uh, what set up this little mix of athletes battling over the U.S. title? Well, uh, Primo uh, actually is replacing The Big Show. The Big Show was in this match, but of course he is now one half of the tag team champions, so he was replaced by Primo. On the 629 Raw... Kingston defended the U.S. title against Big Show, which ended in a double countout. On the 7-6 Raw, the Colognes lost another match to Edge and Chris Jericho. Then Carlito would attack Primo after the match, which turned him heel because he's good at that, and broke the team up later that night. 
Swagger was a guest on the VIP lounge as he and MVP went back and forth before Swagger walked away. And later that night, Evan Bourne defeated Kingston in a non-title match. Uh, and they both and they showed each other respect until show came out and attacked both men. On the 7-13 Raw, Miz defeated Primo thanks to a distraction from Carlito. Swagger would defeat MVP, and Show defeated Bourne while Kingston did commentary, and Kingston would save Bourne from an attack by show. On the 7-16 Superstars, <clears throat> Show defeated Kingston in a non-title match. And on the 7-20 Raw, this match was announced as Kingston, MVP, and Primo defeated Show, Miz, and Carlito in a six-man tag, only for show to lay out everybody. So it's funny how Big Show kind of dominated this feud and then it's taken out of the match. So, but anyway, here we are. All right. To the ring we go. Quit the mix of talent. Some coming up. Some trying to hang on. Swagger moving up to the U.S. title mix out of ECW. Carlito going back to singles title action. Uh, Miz out next, followed by Primo, who's replacing Big Show like you talked about. And then MVP, uh, and our champion come out to a pop. A very exciting Kofi Kingston. Chaos right away. All six guys throw down in the ring and trade offense. Kofi gets a quick spotlight. He and Carlito collide hard in the middle of the ring and bail to the floor. Primo and Swagger go back and forth as Primo's in control in the ring. Swagger takes over and gets two on a gut wrench on Primo as things heat back up. MVP takes a hard fall outside. Swagger heads out and batters him, but Carlito flies out into MVP with a swanton off the top. Kofi lands a nice drop kick. Him and Primo hit a double superplex on Miz with help from Swagger. Back inside, the Colognes battle into a body block that takes out both. Kofi comes flying in. He hammers on Swagger but walks into a big takedown. MVP takes Swagger over the top. They both crash to the floor, leaving Kofi and Carlito to duel until Carlito flies in and almost steals the belt. The ring fills back up, and the Colognes are working together, but Swagger wrecks them both. MVP wipes out Swagger, hits a ball and elbow, but Miz blocks a playmaker with the skull-crushing finale and almost steals the win. Carlito turns on Primo with a backstabber, but it costs him because Kofi pops in and hits the trouble in paradise for the win to a pop. A wild match that really never slowed down. Everyone got some love in there. They all worked their asses off. Felt like a cool little showcase sprint for the young guys, the veterans trying to hang on. Good win for Kofi. Keep running his champion. Well-earned with the crowd. Scott with three stars. And do you think Big Show was going to win if he was remaining in this feud? I do, actually. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good question. Uh, three stars for me. It was a lot of fun. Um, was it a better match without Show? Probably. But I will say this. I do think that uh, – uh, I definitely think that Big Show was slated to win this match. I mean, he was just dominating these guys all throughout this, you know, this week. Uh, these weeks leading up to the to the uh, uh, to the match, so um, I think it might have hurt some of the dynamic in terms of making sense. But at the same time, um, it made the match I think a little better. Um, so I had no problem with that. But it did kind of kill the buzz of what we were building to, which is Big Show just destroying all these guys. Mm -hmm. Having said that, um, you know, Kofi deserves to keep the belt. He's been a good U.S. champion and. The crowd likes him, so I had no problem, Logan, with the result, but it did lose a little of its sense-making with Big Show not in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking if the Big Show was still in it, like, like I said, he had been killing Bourne and Kofi yeah. and all, all these other guys throughout TV, so I think he, I think it really would have just been a, like him just dominating the other five guys and kind of crushing everybody, so it still would have been entertaining, but I think... Like Scott said, in ring wise, it was probably a little better of a match the way it went, and I think it fits with. I mean, Primo may not deserve a singles title shot because he's been a tag guy mostly, but it fits with the uh, Carlito turning on him storyline. So they made it work to their advantage. 
Um, I also went three on it. I thought it was compl- re- incredibly fast-paced, uh, high-impact action throughout the match. They never stopped. thought it was super fun, and this one definitely got the crowd kind of woke up as they've been kind of sleepy throughout the first uh, couple matches. I thought it was smart to keep it on Kofi. I think he's been doing some good stuff on TV uh, kind of leading up to this. Um, and when he does lose it to somebody, it needs to be in kind of a one-on-one capacity and kind of mean something. So, um, but yeah, I just thought it was super fun and it definitely was the most exciting match of the night as the crowd kind of got into this one. So, yep. All right. The Grish talks to Randy Orton, who says what happened to his boys earlier was unfair, but you can't predict tonight's match because he could lose his title without being pinned. He believes his opponent's egos could cancel each other out and he will win and the people will stop disrespecting him to give him the ovation he deserves brings us to our next match, which is Michelle McCool taking on Melina. And that is for the women's championship held by Miss Michelle and Scott. How did uh, Melina earn this title match? Well, JR on the seven, three SmackDown, Melina and Maria defeated McCool and Layla in a tag match. When Melina pinned Layla the following week on seven, 10 Melina and Eve defeated McCool and Layla in a tag match. And McCool attacked Melina after the match only for Melina to run her off. On the 724 SmackDown, McCool bragged about being both diva and vowed to become champion again at the pay-per-view before dousing McCool with makeup. So, All right. Not much there, but enough. Well, Michelle struts out with a gold, followed by a good pop for Melina. And, you know, good challenger for her, the veteran, and a rematch from last month. Good start as Melina does um, her split. Did yep. he get doused with makeup? Uh, I think I'm talking. Logan, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. I think Scott's the one with the problem. We'll just roll on. Uh, Melina recovers and works the arm to get going. Melina works through some offense until Michelle dodges the charge. Melina tumbles outside. Michelle follows and knees her to the barricade. Back inside, Michelle grinds away at the back with strikes and submissions. Talk, taking advantage of Melina's flexibility, we head back outside. They battle to the top of the barricade until Michelle snaps her down with a DVT. Melina recovers as a dive off the apron back inside, trips her to the middle rope, hits a hard knee to the back of the head, gets two on a DDT. Michelle hits a nice belly-to-belly for two. Melina comes back with a seated senton off the middle rope. Michelle rolls through and cradles her tight by folding her in half to win. So I thought it was a pretty fun match. The girls worked hard, put together a compelling, hard-hitting battle with good focus work and a couple of rough-looking spots that were effective. The crowd was into it. The division is getting more athletic and cohesive as we go week by week. And I, th- I like the finish, too. I thought both girls are evenly matched. And Michelle finds a way, Logan. I, this is one of the better women's matches we've seen recently. And I'm I'm happy to see the division continue to get focus, continue to get depth, and, you know, have the uh, athleticism on display with the types of uh, female re- workers that they're bringing in. So I actually went three stars on this. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it like you did. I went a little lower and went two and a half, but I, I definitely share a lot of your sentiments. Um, if you if you only see the video package for this match, uh, the character dynamics because even they're not really line up because uh, Melina kind of comes across more heelish in that little makeup scene than uh, Michelle mm-hmm. does. But um, yeah, but just immediate physicality in this one, like you said, Melina does the splits and uh, Michelle charges straight at her and drop kicks her. Uh, they really throw some stiff strikes at first, so you can tell these two really don't kind of like each other. Um, I thought it was smart to show the flexibility from Melina doing the single leg Boston Crab, where she basically like kicks herself on the head at one point um, with it. Um, JR describes uh, Melina's scream as a Sharapova like scream. Uh, I thought that dated this show pretty perfectly. Um, and I, he is correct. Um, this is a very loud match. They are uh, mm-hmm. very Luger like in their screams for this one. So 
Um, but yeah, smart to have McCool kind of sneak this one out. Uh, not a bad match, but I, I think I think there's a better match in here somewhere. I think I I could get to the three star mark kind of like you did, but I definitely thought it was a really good women's match for the time. So uh, yeah, I went two and a half. Yeah, I mean it was it was it was okay. Um, I, I like uh, I like Michelle McCool as a heel. Yeah, gave it three stars. They're both very athletic. I've always when Melina really got out of the valet phase, and we've talked about this, Jr. That she really does work hard. Um, and Michelle McCool is just a just a good. She's just a good heel. And um, this is actually one time where it's probably good to break up the uh, have two women's titles because the mm-hmm. as much as we can make fun of the women's division, it's not the deepest talent wise, but it is the deepest people wise. So it probably doesn't hurt to have a couple of, you know, to have a belt on each show. So I'm I'm good with it. I, I, I think the match reached expectations more than I thought it would. And I think Michelle McCool's working really hard to try and put this title over. So I am uh I approve. I approve. Um does the in-ring need to be up to a level? Yes. But it's not for lack of trying. I will say that. All right. Well, let's Help. roll on here, and we get a video package for our next match, which is John Cena taking on Randy Orton and Triple H. And, of course, with these guys in the mix, you know Randy Orton will be defending his WWE title. Scott, how did we find our way to this WrestleMania 24 rematch? Yes. Well, on the 629 Raw, guest host Batista announced a mini tournament to determine the number one contender at the pay-per-view. When Legacy confronted him and Batista put Orton in a gauntlet match. In the tournament, Triple H defeated MVP. Cena defeated The Miz. And later that night, Orton defeated Evan Bourne and Jack Swagger in the gauntlet, only to lose to Mark Henry. On the 7-6 Raw, guest host Ted DiBiase gave his son a non-title match against Orton and guaranteed the younger DiBiase would win. The later that night, Orton would defeat DiBiase in, a non-title ma- in that non-title match. In the main event, Cena and Triple H wrestled to a no contest when Legacy attacked both men, only for Ted DiBiase to announce Orton would face both men at the pay-per-view in a triple threat on seven thirteen, triple H and Cena would team with guest host Seth green to defeat legacy by DQ in a six man tag. Triple H would clear legacy out of the ring with a sledgehammer and had a stare down with Cena before the two men celebrated with green. And finally on the seven twenty raw Cena brought up the, as JR mentioned, a four mentioned uh, WrestleMania 24 match and vowed to win the title until Orton interrupted and said he would win the match. Like he did down in Orlando and Legacy would come out and attack Cena until Triple H made the save, as he said he didn't care whether he or Cena won as long as Orton lost the title. In the main event, Triple H and Cena defeated Legacy in a handicap match and then shook hands. Typical build for them. Yeah, it's a big-time title match. The top dogs, like I said, WrestleMania 24 rematch. Orton is way more established now than he was there, too. Uh, so it almost feels even more equal across the board. Whereas in that one, when Orton won, it felt like an upset. A uh, usual split rowdy reaction for Cena, big pop for Hunter. Orton's out to booze. All three guys feeling like rock stars. We get a gunslinger showdown. They ramp as Orton tries to bail, but gets tracked down and beat on by both guys. He tries to escape to get a breath. It gets chased out again as he gets mauled. Orton shoves Cena to Triple H and takes over. He hammers on Cena as the crowd tries to rally him, keeping Hunter at bay. Orton switches it up. Cena ends up grounded on the floor while he works Hunter over, mainly strikes and pin covers. Orton works the neck and throat, and Hunter slugs back and trades hammer fists with Orton. Orton gets a tight scoop power slam. Shrugs, uh, Hunter shrugs off an RKO. He, did, he tees Orton as Cena recovers, and it's a top rope leg drop on both guys. 
Orton shoves both off, and they end up outside as Orton recovers. Orton drags off both off the apron, lines up a hanging DDT, but they fight it off, and they dump Orton to the floor. Cena and Hunter stare each other down. They start to throw bombs until Cena hits a shoulder block, but he walks into a high knee. They counter back and forth, and neither guy can finish. Cena counters a pedigree and tries the STF, but Hunter blocks. Hunter blocks an AA as well, gets a spine buster and the pedigree, but Orton makes a save. Orton pulls Hunter into the out table, but Hunter goes low and sets out the pedigree. Cena saves and throws Orton into the front row. Cena leaves Triple H for dead, heads back inside Orton where they trade more shots. Cena blocks an RKO, puts Orton up top, and Hunter breaks that up. Cena slingshots Hunter into Orton, crotching him, and then hooks Hunter in the SDF. Orton tries to punt, but Cena ducks and rolls him up for two. Orton pops up and nails a hard clothesline on Cena, methodically takes over at stomps and knee drops, pounding Cena as the crowd tries to rally. Hunter recovers, comes firing back. He twists Orton to a sharpshooter, and then Cena scampers over and hooks a crossface. Orton taps, but the ref can't call for the bell, so Legacy come out to make the save. Cena loads up Cody for the AA, but Orton hits an RKO on Cena while he has Cody up in an awesome spot and retains his title in a great finish. Uh, I like this a lot. It was a high-octane match, right on brand in this time for the Big Dog Wars. felt like bomb fest for the hot crowd. The chemistry is smooth. All three really flowed right uh, well into everything they did. They made the setup work nicely. Hunter and Cena counter fest was good and it made sense. And the back end really ramped up into a hot finish. The crowd is very pro Cena here too, which helped. That was cool. Uh, and Orin escapes yet again with the help from Legacy. He's piling out his wins in a breakout year, Scott. So I went four stars. Uh, I really enjoyed watching this. It's a match I had no memory of, and I thought they really leaned in nice. They'd have to look back at WrestleMania 24. At the least, I think I have it on par, if not a little better, perhaps. Well, I'm going back now. Uh, we we both gave that match uh, three and three quarters, and we gave, both gave this match four. So I think this match is probably better. Uh, I agree. Um, I mean, look, these three guys have been at the center of the main event picture for at least the last year and a half together. So chemistry wise, you're not going to get, you know, a piece of crap unless one of them tanks. And these three will never do that. These three will always attempt to outdo the other two. So say what you want, but you're always going to get a great match out of them. Um, Orton winning is fine. Orton has been really great. Um, He is still a tremendous champion. Uh, He's an awesome heel. Uh, I've had no problem, um, with him staying champion and he has really just gotten the crowd pissed off at him. He's become so smarmy and chicken shit. Uh, he's got a good old school heel feel to him and I've enjoyed it immensely. So I am very, uh, very happy to see that this, that this combination is not wearing out. These three guys, you could say it is, but it hasn't. So I'm excited that this continues for Orton, Logan, and that he really has worked his ass off to get to this level and be over as such a scumbag to the fans. Yeah, th- this match could have really suffered from fatigue because these are the top, top been the top guys on Raw, and and they've been going back and forth with each other for a while now, especially uh, Hunter and Orton. Um, they've been going at each other. Uh, since WrestleMania and even before that uh, for the feud uh, part of it. Um, but yeah, this definitely could have had one of those things where like, man, we're seeing these guys match up again, but uh, they made sure that you did not have that feeling coming away from it. Um, I love that Cena and Triple H immediately try to take Orton out of the equation, uh, even though it kind of doesn't work, uh, but they did try to make sure that they can face off with each other. 
Um, commentary at one point implies that Orton thinks Cena is the weaker of his opponents, and I thought that was an absolutely asinine thing to say or think. Uh, I don't think Triple H is necessarily the weaker one either, but I don't think either of them are weak, so I don't think he really should have thought that of either of them. Um, I feel like outside of the uh, or after the opening, Orton does a pretty good job of making sure he's never in the ring with both guys. I kind of feel like whenever one of them kind of tries to come back in, he gets rid of the other one. So he's always facing either uh, Triple H or Cena and not ever both at the same time. Um, I thought the Cena Triple H portions of the match were very, very good. Um, we kind of y'all kind of talked about the Mania 24 match. I haven't seen it in a little bit, but uh, I'm fairly I'd fairly easily say that I think this one's better. Uh, because I, I remember that one slightly disappointing me, uh, at least the last time I watched it. Um, the interference, interference is always going to take away from it for a little a little bit for me, but uh, it's only slightly in this one, and I really, really enjoyed this match, and I will go for along with you guys as well. Yeah, it, it definitely caught me off guard. Um, I did not recall this one at all being that good. So, But like I said, during this era, mm. they, they really did get good at the big – battle of the gods vibe with these guys like i I think they really knew how to they got good at booking the quick sprint they weren't afraid to do short matches on top like i think it was a unique little phase that they were in here where not everything had to be a dragged out war it was like i agree you know we can just do a quick like i even think back to that batista jbl squash like we had like back in a way like they just got good at like just mixing it up and doing these different stuff i think even seeing a batista somerset was not only like 13 minutes or something so it's like it's cool that they're not afraid to just go all out and t- tighten the matches up. So, mm-hmm. all right, Miz and Maurice are backstage flirting. Maurice calls him a loser because he lost tonight. Miz has enough games; he can get any girl he wants. He's not going to take Maurice's head games, and he's got nothing out of helping her. And calls her a tease and says she'll oh. lose her title and come begging to the Miz. So <laughs> this is all pretty funny, given where they end up. So yeah, oh my god, that's awesome. Uh, we got Chili from TLC in the crowd. Uh, speaking of waterfalls, pretty yeah, really. <laughs> uh, with her son. And the king says she gave him a kiss earlier. So I'm sure that was the highlight of her life. Oh, boy. Uh, we then get a very rare second legitimate women's title match on pay-per-view. As Mickey James is challenging that a likely champion in Maurice. Scott, uh, any build to this? On the 629 Raw, James defeated Beth Phoenix, Kelly Kelly, and Rosa Mendez to earn the title shot of the pay-per-view as she had a stare down with Maurice after the match. On the 7-6 Raw, James and Gail Kim defeated Maurice and Alicia Fox in a tag match. On 7-13, Maurice Fox and Mendez defeated James Kelly and Kim in a bikini match when Maurice pinned James. And on the 7-20 Raw, James cut a promo on the match at the pay-per-view when the Miz interrupted and said Maurice would always be better while James would be working as a Waffle House waitress in 10 years and Maurice would come up behind James and blinded her. It is very serendipitous having Miz in this feud, though. So this is pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. King calls out Cole for calling him Maurice, which was pretty funny uh, that he actually called it out. Cole just calls him Maurice like forever in here. Uh, crowd is uh, a bit quiet for the champion. We start off with a lockup and a slap from Maurice, and then she runs for Mickey. Mickey takes over some strikes, and we're a bit stifled uh, due here due to Maurice's uh, being a step behind. Maurice lands a nice kick to the head to knock Mickey to the floor. Back inside, Maurice continues to pelt away. Maurice goes to a seated chin lock and dumps Mickey outside, and Maurice follows out, tosses her back in, and grabs hairspray from under the ring, but Mickey kicks her away. Mickey heads out, hammers on the champion, misses a dive, and Maurice takes back over. Mickey comes back and ambles through some offense and covers, but Maurice goes to finish, and Mickey counters to a DDT to take the title to a big pop. 
This was not good, fellas. Uh, Mickey tried her best, but Maurice is slow and awkward. The commentary was completely checked out through the whole match, as was the crowd. Uh, credit to them to give them time and to have the second women's title match on here. Like, that's cool. But Maurice just wasn't really ready for this um, at all. Mickey, again, the title makes sense. It's a nice moment for her. But, Logan, I, I went a star and a half, again, for Mickey's work. But Maurice definitely an overhead at this point. Yeah, that that was the overall thing that I came away with is Marie. Maurice just seemed very green and kind of a tad out of her element as champion at this point. You know, I, I think she was the hot young thing or a new new hot thing. I mean, um, I, and they just kind of wanted to put the belt on her, see what she could do with it. Um, but yeah, this one wasn't as crisp or physical as the one earlier in the night. Uh, another horrible outfit choice for tonight uh, by uh, Mickey James. She looked like she was going to space with her baggy, uh, shiny silver pants. Um, but yeah, that that was just r- real bad outfit choice. But yeah, the the match just wasn't very good, like you said. Mickey did her best, but yeah, one and a half is what I went on as well. Uh, I gave it one and three quarters. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mickey is obviously an exceptional worker, but Maurice is very, as Steve Austin would say, green as grass uh, here. She would get better over time, but she might, I agree with JR. I think she was just a little over her head here. I think she might have gotten the belt a little too early, but you know, it's Vince and he likes, you know, the hot women and <laughs> Maurice definitely was easy on the eyes, but Hard to watch while wrestling. And, uh, yeah, um, not much to say here, really. I mean, Mickey and Michelle McCool are, are both good women's champions for the two belts uh, in their own special way. Um, so I, I, I approve of the win, uh, but the match was just was not good. Maurice is just not ready for this yet. So it's good to actually have her drop it and give it to uh, to Mickey James, who can who can go in the ring and, and really uh, – um, you know, really defend it proudly and, and trying to elevate some of these. Again, the women's roster, like I mentioned earlier, the women's roster is not devoid of of women's workers. There's just probably there's probably three levels. There's the really good ones, there's the average ones, and then there's like Maurice, <laughs> you know, who are not quite there yet. Yeah. Um trying to balance that out has not been easy, but this was uh this was not not good. And uh Mickey did the best she could. We'll see where she goes from here as champion. All right. The Grish is with Rhodes and DiBiase. They're happy Orton won and Cena and Hunter lost. And that was their accomplishment tonight. And Cody, uh, we see has Big Show's handprint still across his chest, which is nasty. <laughs> uh, we then get a video package for our next match, which is Rey Mysterio defending his intercontinental title against Dolph Ziggler. Scott, how do we set up this one? All right. Well, on the 710 SmackDown, Mysterio defeated Chris Jericho to retain the title and escaped an attack from Edge, only for Ziggler to attack Mysterio and throw him into the ring where Edge hit the spear, and then Ziggler laid Mysterio out. On the 716 Superstars, Mysterio cut a promo on what Ziggler did as Ziggler interrupted and demanded a title shot, which Mysterio agreed to, though Ziggler would walk away from a fight. On the 717 SmackDown, Mysterio and Jeff Hardy defeated Ziggler and Jericho in a tag match only for Ziggler to attack Mysterio after the match. And on the 724 SmackDown, Ziggler vowed to be the new Intercontinental Champion and defeated Finley by countout. And in the main event, Ziggler attacked Mysterio during his match with CM Punk until Jeff Hardy made the save. So there we go. All right, big match for Dolph into the IC title with Ray. Should be fun. Dolph has Maria with him now, looking focused. And... My spot there for a sec. Uh, and coming out of his gold, coming off his red hot feud with Jericho. We feel out and ease in as JR puts over Dolph's amateur success. Dolph controls early, cranking a side headlock, hitting a buckle bomb to block Arana. 
Dolph shoots Ray hard to the corner and he goes back to the chin lock. Ray leverages Dolph into the ring post, follows a springboard cross body. Ray charges, but Dolph hits a scoop power slam for two. Ray recovers, knocks Dolph outside, flies into him with a seated senton. Back inside, Dolph catches Ray up top, carries him off, but Ray punches him down, walks into a punch, and Dolph tries a tiger bomb. Ray counters into a head scissors. Dolph ducks a 619. He sends Ray flying out to the floor. Dolph works the head and the neck, goes back to a chin lock, keeps Ray grounded, but the champion comes punching back after full Nelson. We get a flurry of near falls into a stiff Ray kick for two. Dolph comes back with a jawjacker for two, but Ray fights up and heads up top. Dolph meets him with a drop kick on the way down for two. Ray dodges a charge, sends Dolph hard to the corner. Dolph puts him up to uh, puts Dolph up top and follows, but Dolph counters to a super gut buster for two. Ray quickly flashes back, hits six one nine, and springboard splash to retain his title. I will say this is a little disappointing. Uh, the pace was slow and a little grinding, kind of tough this late this late in the crowd. Uh, late in the night, I should say, with the crowd fading, you kind of want to see a face, faster pace. Uh, Dolph, I thought, looked like he belonged. He worked a technically smart match on Ray, but it just needed more time and more pep. Um, things really picked up late, but the story was sound. Just not enough to bring everything up a level. So good foundation here for Dolph. Ray is IC champion. It's going to be fun. Um, but I think there's something more between them that could be there that we didn't see tonight. So Sky went three and a quarter. Again, it was very good, but somehow also disappointing at the same time. <laughs> That happens sometimes. Definitely does. Uh, three and a half for me. Um, I like this. I like that that you know Ray is now working with uh, you know one of the up and comer guys. Um, funny to say that about Dolph Ziggler now, fourteen years later. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, the match suck and blow. No, um, I mean the match uh, you know was was good enough. But but I think at this stage of the match we don't need. Um, slow plotting methodical to see two guys like Dolph and Ray. I think we could use some, some speed and some quickness and, and make the match go a bit faster. Uh, heading into what's going to be a pretty good main event with two guys that move very fast. I think that would help here as well. Dolph didn't quite do that. He tried to be a little more grindy and the crowd wasn't really looking forward to grindy for the seventh match of the night. So uh, again, three and a half, I thought it was a good match, but I definitely see your point, JR, that I think we needed a different psychological story pacing-wise than we got here. I think we needed to hit the gas a little bit. Yeah, I, I get what y'all are saying. Um, I, I think I watched the show in, in portions, and I, I watched all, all of the show to this point, and then I came back and watched these last two matches. So, like, the pace and the length of the show didn't really grind on me as much in this match as it did with y'all. Uh, I went three and a half like Scott did. Um, I, I really enjoyed uh, Ziggler, what he did in this match. I thought he was very aggressive. He wore uh, Mysterio down really well, focusing on the neck and back. I thought that top rope gut buster and the buckle bomb uh, that he hit throughout the match were both absolutely disgusting. Um, commentary does a really good job in this match. I love how they're like pushing that Ziggler really studied uh, Ray before this one, and it's very apparent in how uh, Ziggler kind of works the match. I feel like he, every time... Uh, it seems like Ray's getting some momentum. It's uh, uh, Zig Ziglar's quick to cut him off. Um, I also thought the IC title looked absolutely huge on Ray. It's like, gigantic for some reason. Uh, I don't at all remember this Ziggler Maria pairing, um, mm. but I don't think it lasts too much longer after this, if I'm being honest. But um, yeah, I thought Ziggler looked real impressive in this one. Like I said, it may have helped that I watched this separately from the rest of the show, but uh, I, I, I kind of really enjoyed this one, actually. All right. Well, we'll see if they continue to uh, 
battle if it brings anything else. It's now time for our main event. We get a video package setting that up, and that is for the Dodie Heavyweight Championship, and that is CM Punk taking on Jeff Hardy, Scott. Uh, this view has obviously been uh, ticking along, but how did we get here with Punk defending against Hardy? Well, uh, on the 7-3 SmackDown, Punk cut a promo on the match at the Bash and Hardy's attack afterwards as he demanded Hardy apologize, but Teddy Long would come out and say Hardy would get a rematch at Night of Champions before putting them in a tag match. Big shock. Later that night, Hardy would come out and Long got between them as Punk said they had to be on the same page and told Hardy to just say no. And in the main event, Punk and Hardy lost to Edge and Jericho as Hardy made like he had an eye injury similar to Punk, though revealed it was fake. On the 710 SmackDown, Hardy came out with an eye patch and claimed his eye injury was legit, unlike Punk's, though he would reveal it was not. Then Punk would cost Hardy a match against Kane. Later that night, uh, Punk cut a promo as he pulled out prescription medicine and said it would be the only foreign substance he put on his body. And he reminded Hardy he had two strikes while he had none and was never suspended or had to go to rehab. Oof, deep cuts. On the 717 SmackDown, Hardy cut a promo on his problems, though he said he hadn't failed the test in a year and also never had to go to rehab. And Punk interrupted and said that was nothing to brag about, and Hardy would never beat him because he was straight edge. He said he was scared seeing all the Hardy shirts in the crowd as their hero would become another statistic, and Hardy shoved Punk to the mat, and Punk rolled out of the ring while Hardy walked away. In the main event, Punk would cost Hardy a tag match and watched while Hardy was put in the walls of Jericho. And finally, on the 724 SmackDown, Hardy defeated Jericho in a match and vowed to become champion at the pay-per-view. And later that night, Punk cut a promo as he implored the fans to say no to their vices, like alcohol and drugs. Hardy would come out and confront Punk, who said he would just say no and walked away. And in the main event, Punk lost by Ray, lost to Rey Mysterio by DQ when Dolph Ziggler got involved and Hardy would make the save only for Punk to give him the go to sleep. I've enjoyed this feud immensely. All right, it's been a good one for sure. And here we go again. Punk amping up his beliefs in everyone's face. Hardy trying to get his belt back as the intensity climbs. Punk is out in focus. Jared goes over a straight-edge stance of recent successes. Big pop for Hardy as he dances out. We get a very slow start with stalling and talking. We finally get going with Hardy laying in some strikes, trying to pace up. He brings the fight to the champ. Punk tries to take him down and goes to a chin lock. Hardy fights free, misses a charge, flies to the floor. Punk tries to follow with a tope, but misses and lands hard on the ground. Punk bails out, and Hardy goes up top and leaps, but Punk steps away, and he bangs off the barricade. Punk rolls in and wants to count out, but Hardy barely beats it back inside. Punk goes on the in on the back with stiff kicks, tries to grab a fall. Punk starts to mix in submissions to wear down Jeff and punish the back. Hardy's able to hit a sit-out suplex to slow to recover. He walks into Punk, slapping him. They trade strikes as Hardy wins the battle, heats up, and takes a hard fall. Punk cracks over the running knee. Hardy pushes off a bulldog, gets a whisper of the win for two. Hardy heads back up top, but misses the swanton. Punk goes right to the back. Hardy pops up and hits a twist of fate. Tries another swanton, but Punk gets his knees up and gets an air fall. Punk counters the twist of fate into the GTS, but Hardy kicks out to a big pop. Punk tries two more covers, but Hardy won't stay down. Punk grabs the belt and starts to lead, but Hardy chases him down, throws him back in the ring, and hammers away. Hardy hits a twist of fate, heads up top, buries a heavy swanton, and wins the title to a big pop. Uh, very good yet again, but it still feels like they're missing the next gear to me. Uh, it was very well structured. The attacks and selling were on point. Punk is settling into the role well, having defined lines of help this feud. Uh, Punk grinding while Jeff tries to explode into offense is a nice mix. The crowd is there after being down on the back end of the card a bit. I think Jeff looked great, never giving up, and becoming a true star throughout this year has been nice. Uh, the finish was good and a huge pop for Hardy as he takes back the gold. And it feels normal, not an upset. 
but again, I feel like th- just like Dolphin Ray to me, like there's more in there that we're not getting from them for whatever reason. Uh, and we'll see if they get to that level. But for me, this was just short of that. So I went three and three quarter, Logan. Yeah, I, I went three and a half on this one. Um, I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like there was another gear that they just didn't quite get to. Um, they really sacrificed some other bodies early in this one. I feel like there were a couple of ridiculous bumps really to start off with um, that, that uh, both Hardy and uh, CM Punk took. CM Punk like did a suicide dive and Jeff moved out of the way and he landed like flat on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the ground and it just sounded like a real bad thud. Um, I thought Punk was real ruthless to the back uh, throughout the match with the kicks and heavy strikes. Um, I like how Punk kept getting out of the swanton somehow. He did the little nice little last second setup that he did on the first one. Got his knees up on the second one, like he said. Um, I, I like that Hardy's really trying, really having to earn uh, hitting the hitting the move. Um, I thought it was some good heel work from Punk to kind of walk out when the GTS and the uh, covers after it didn't work. Um, and uh, the third attempt on the Swanton, uh, he, when he hit, finally hits it, is the kill shot, and he hits it with a pretty good thud. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoyed this one a lot, but I do think that there's another gear that these two could get to, um, and I think they probably will in their uh, following match that they'll have at the next month. But yeah, really enjoyed this one in a, a solid way to end the show. Well, like I said, the build has been just as good as the matches. Uh, Uh, I gave this, I gave him three and a half at the bash, and three and three quarters here. So I, I just feel like their 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 chemistry just gets better and better. I've enjoyed the, uh, mm-hmm. I've enjoyed the crazy spots. The gimmicks have been ridiculous. I mean, just the the, the <laughs> really going deep. I mean, kudos to Jeff Hardy for approving, talking shit about his checkered you know, history um, and letting Punk go deep in the weeds on it because I think that's the only way you're going to make this legit. There's nothing really to talk about with Jeff because he's at this level. He is a, he is a world champion now, so it's okay to say, look, I had a lot of problems before, and of course you have them after. Um, so Punk hanging his hat on that, I think, made it really great. And the match is just really good. They just know how to work well together. Punk knows how to be a methodical heel. Everybody called him like the the modern day Brett. And he's kind of like that because he is very methodical. He does kind of go, it does his pacing and Jeff's a lot like Shawn Michaels. I've always said that, you know, I, I've never, well, except for the fact that Sean's better psychologically in between moves. I had never thought one thing I've always criticized Jeff Hardy for is I can never stand going from spot to spot and not knowing what to do in between. He's gotten a lot better at that over the last year and a half. Um, particularly at this, at this top level feud, he's definitely doing his best to, tell a better story without being inconsistent. Um, I thought it was a great way to end the show. Um, crowd was, was pumped. Um, the show has had its ups and downs, but energy level wise, it really uh, gave the show a really strong ending for the Philly crowd. You know, Punk and Jeff are Philly favorites. So I, I thought it was a good way to end the show. The energy level had been up and down all night. So it was a good way to end it. Agreed. I was actually surprised. I, I did not remember Hardy winning the belt back during this feud, so it was cool. <laughs> All right, let's get to our awards here to, to close things out uh, on this evening. So our MVP of the night, uh, to me, I ended up going Jeff Hardy. Uh, you know, I think him winning the title at the end, and again, like like I mentioned, it felt like, okay, he's just a world championship guy. Like, it wasn't 
an upset. It wasn't a surprise. Like it was a surprise that I just have forgotten about it. But in the construct and the context of the time, he was a believable title change. So I think that's cool that he's ascended to this point and get to stand tall at the end of a pay-per-view as champion. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd go Jeff as well. He had the big win at the end of the night, so I, th- I thought that was a really strong way to end the pay-per-view. All right, LVP on the evening. I ended up going Maurice. Uh, I think she was just the worst on the show. Like, I feel bad, but she was way in over her head. She was only there because of the All the Champions gimmick uh, and just really did not click. Yeah, I'd go, I'd, I'd go Maurice as well, for sure. Yeah, she, she was definitely over her head, big time. All right, best match. I actually had, uh, which I did not expect coming into this, but Cena versus Orton versus Triple H. They just get better every time they, they work together. Mm. Crazy. Yeah, that's definitely best match. Uh, definitely better than their uh, WrestleMania 24 uh, match. But, yeah, it definitely surprised me a lot how good it was. All right. Uh, worst match, I think, was uh, very easily Mickey James Maurice. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Best moment, I went with Punk's promo backstage. I thought that was excellent. Like, the character development, explaining why this feud with Hardy is a thing. It's a little harsh, but there's some truth in there. So, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that, that's my whole point. I mean, just building with the legitimacy. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's just been so good, and it makes the matches uh, add an even more an, an extra sense of realism to them. Yeah, and it, those uh, those like mid show promos kind of usually lose me a little bit, but it's uh, it, I feel like that one really hit well, so I, I'd definitely go with that as well. All right, surprise of the night, I went with Big Show uh, being revealed as Jericho's partner. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was yeah. a great reveal and uh, ended up being a pretty good match. Uh, and I agree. Prominent, uh, in it as well. I concur. All right, final grade has kind of been my grade through this year, uh, year right now. It's, you know, we talked about 08. It was a lot of like seven and a half, eight level shows. And I feel like we've come down a notch here in 09 um, to more like, six six and a half and maybe seven on the high end for most of the year uh so i ended up going six and a half i had this about on par with the bash little below extreme rules on par with judgment day it's, this is kind of where they've settled for me uh very good matches a lot of matches that are like three to three and a half stars but we're kind of losing like the consistent multiple four star match shows right we're still avoiding the real bad on mostly shows as well so we're said to settle in to be like right about that like strongly good not great. Yeah. Um, we haven't really had any in-ring problems. I will say that we haven't had a problem with matches, like an entire show of crap that fortunately has not happened yet. Um, but it's getting, it's getting close. I would say this is the first pay-per-view where I think everybody was feeling a little, uh, there's some inconsistencies here. And um, I think that we're getting our first uh, taste of, and I'm going to get probably more into this on our next show in a couple weeks, JR, of roster fatigue. I feel like even though the matches have been good, we're seeing the same like 15 people over and over again. And I'm getting a feeling that the, that the, that the crowd is getting kind of fatigued at seeing these same guys, no disrespect to edge, but him getting hurt was probably the best thing for him mm. because he was guilty of that as uh, as well. Same for Batista not being around right now. Like I think yep. the break was good. Yep, I agree 100. percent So uh, yeah, so I would go. Uh, I'm going to go with a six. 
Uh, the four-star match was good, but we had a couple of stinkers. So it's my second straight month of uh, of a six. Just good enough to be good, but not too crappy. Yeah, I think it's definitely – I'll go with JT. I think it's a six and a half. I think it's a very high-end six and a half. I could see going seven on it. I think it was a very solid uh, pay-per-view. The matches were all pretty good. Um, there was that one stinker with the women's match. I think that was really the black eye on this one uh, for sure. But um, I, I think for the most part, everything was solid. Uh, nothing was like all-time great. So maybe that – I think it was kind of surprising how really uh, great it, it, it came out to be. Um, but I, I thought the card overall really delivered for the most part, and uh, I really enjoyed watching the show. And you, I'm, I'm very happy that even though I missed the actual schedule, the opportunity I was supposed to be on this show, you still gave me a hearty title win, so I really appreciate that, guys. No doubt, no doubt. Very good, very good. Uh, all right, so that's going to do it for us here tonight. We're uh, happy to get through yet another episode of Place to Be Podcast. We'll be back in two weeks. Talk at SummerSlam 2009 with another returning guest. I want to thank you, Logan, for joining as well. Be sure to check out everything we have to offer here at the PlayStation Wrestling Network, as well as the PlayStation Pop Experience and the North South Connection. We have a lot of audio, video content. Uh, just follow us on social media and uh, subscribe to the feeds, and you'll get linked over to everything you need to keep current with what we got going on. So for Logan, for Scott, I'm Justin. We're out. We will talk to you in a couple weeks. Everybody take care. Peace. Show. Sure.